the action of prayer. Through this series, we've talked about our attitude of prayer, of coming to God like little children, coming with humility, being willing to learn and to hear from God. We've talked about asking God, the God-only prayers, the prayers that move mountains. God, if you don't do something here, that we don't know what to do. We've talked about the access that we have to God through prayer. We have the access directly to God the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit and the authority of Jesus Christ. Last week, we talked about the ache of prayer and the heartache we have in the prayers of lament. When we cry out to God, God, how long am I going to be suffering? How long am I going to be in this position that I'm in? Where are you, God? And those prayers ultimately turn into prayers of trusting God. And this morning we're talking about the action of prayer. This is the power behind our prayers. You ever had something that was in perfect working condition? I have a mag light, one of those torches that I purchased a number of years ago. It was on sale and it was really cheap, like $20. And they're normally way expensive. So it's like, my, I'm very proud of it. Every time I look at it, I'm like, what a bargain. You put the batteries in and it takes the big fat D cell batteries and you put them in and they last a long time. The frustrating thing is when they don't work. And you go to turn it on and it just goes, and there's no power behind it. There's no light behind that torch. The torch has, is in working condition. The light would work. The, the casing's in order. The button would work. But it has no power behind it. And if it did have power, it would work perfectly. In a similar way with our prayer life, we can have tremendous potential. And in this room, there is an absolutely amazing potential in our prayer life. But unless we have the power behind the prayer, it's much like a torch with dead batteries. It's absolutely useless. Our principle for today is this. Prayer is the power behind my actions. Within church, in my personal prayer, even this morning, I woke up in a very, very early this morning, and I was thinking about the message, thinking about individuals within our church, and I was praying for people that they would understand and experience the power. The goal isn't just to show up to church. I came to church today. I'm here. That's good. I'm glad. But the goal is that you develop and grow. We're blessed. We are a blessing. And then through that, we want to experience the power. And similar with our prayer life. This morning, we're going to talk about three E's. We have the enemy. We have the equipment. And also we have the energy behind our prayers. Let me give you a little bit of background of the book of Ephesians. We've talked about it, the book of Ephesians um, throughout this year during the school holidays. We've been going through the I statements of Jesus Christ. Really, I've been really blessed by this series. But in this particular part, we're talking about prayer. And the book of Ephesians is written by a man named Paul. And Paul was an incredible evangelist, started many churches. He visited personally the city in modern-day Turkey called Ephesus, which was a Roman colony. He visited there two times, one time for a very short visit, and another time he came back for about two years. 
And he loved these people. He knew them very, very well. And now, about 10 years later, after his second time visiting with them, he's writing them a letter of encouragement. But this letter of encouragement is not during a time in Paul's life when he's on the mountaintop experience and everything's easy in his retirement. He's actually in a Roman prison. And the way it's described is he actually has a guard there with him at all times. He's given some freedoms to have people visit with him, but he's in prison. And history tells us that he never gets out of this prison. He's actually ultimately killed by Caesar. And he's writing quite literally, for the last time to these people. What does he want them to know? What does he want them to experience? Have you ever sat with someone at the end of their life and they're expressing to you the, their final words of blessing and encouragement? Several weeks ago, I was sitting with Maz Webster Ward uh, a few days before she passed away and really a, a day before she went into a sleep that she never woke up from. And I'm sitting with her and expressing to her, and she looked at me and she held my hand. She goes, Michael, I love you. I'll never forget that. I love that lady. You hear those final words. What does Paul want this church to know? And through that, what does he want you and I to know? And he goes through this book and talks about who we are in Christ and what, we're, uh, what we, our actions are as a result. And he finishes off with our prayer life. What is it and why should we pray? Do any of you, and you don't have to raise your hand, but any of you find it difficult to pray? It's so easy to have a conversation face-to-face. It's so easy to think about our needs and our wants, but to actually get down and to pray with power is really hard work. Why is that? So we're going to seek to make this practical. First of all, it's because we have an enemy. We have an enemy. And that enemy lays out in Ephesians chapter number 6, verse number 10. If you have your Bibles, let me encourage you, follow along in your own Bibles. If not, it will be on the screen for you. And Paul here lays out some real truth. And this truth is not to scare you, it's to give you a reality check. You ever been to the doctor and the doctor diagnoses something? You didn't have the disease when you were diagnosed. You already had the disease. They just gave you an answer of what you have. And now as a result of the diagnosis, you can now have a treatment. But if it's never diagnosed, you won't have a treatment. And that's what Paul's saying here. We've already always been in a spiritual battle with Satan. But now you know about it. Now we can do something about it. Previously, you might have been ignorant. You ever have trouble getting to church on Sunday morning? The kids, I'm just glad that we live like one kilometer away and no further. Because if we do live any further, we would give the kids opportunity to fight. And some of you drive for much further distances and, and maybe you do experience this. Sunday mornings is extra hard to get to church. You ever stop to think, maybe it's because we're in a spiritual battle? Now, some of you live even closer than I do, and you still fight. You ever discover that maybe you're in a spiritual battle? You ever stop to think, why is it so hard to read my Bible? I can read a novel, I can read the newspaper, but to read my Bible, my mind begins to wonder, I begin to doubt. Why does that? Maybe it's because we're in a spiritual battle. And Paul says here, verse number 10, 
finally be strong in the Lord in the strength of whose might? His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Sooner or later, every Christian believer in Jesus Christ discovers that the Christian life is a battleground. It is not a playground. We are in a spiritual battle and life is very difficult. We have an enemy that we face, but thank God that we serve a God who is much stronger than our enemy. And we find our strength in our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It is not through our own strength, not through our own ability. As talented as you are and as clever and smart as you are, you are not strong enough to fight the spiritual battle of life on your own. And it says in verse 10, Finally be strong in the Lord, in the, in, in, in the strength of His might. The answer is... Jesus. I've jokingly said a number of times in our Connect group, anytime we ask a question and we discuss something in our Connect group and you don't know the answer, that probably the answer is Jesus. If you say Jesus, nine times out of ten, you'll probably be right. In a similar way with our life, we look at our life, we go, what is the answer to all my problems? What's the answer to my struggles? I am weak. The answer is Jesus. And that's what he says here. It's strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Because we have a spiritual battle that we are facing. And to be ignorant toward it doesn't change the reality. So now that we know that we're in a spiritual battle, now what are we going to do about it? And the Apostle Peter lays out in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, and he gives us a great visual illustration about Satan and his work. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We must be very, very careful. Because when we try to do the opposite, it says there, be sober-minded, be watchful. And the opposite of sober-minded is to just be nonchalant, not to be focused. It's essentially saying there, watch out. Be careful. Wake up. And when we go through life in our own strength, in our own ability, and we, we compartmentalize our life and we say, God, I'll give you my Sunday mornings. I'll give you this part of my life. I'll give it to you when I'm really in the down in the dumps. But in the rest of the time, I'm fine. I can do life by myself. That's when we become much like this video you're going to see. We become much like this. When I saw that this week and I was preparing for this message, I instantly thought of how we actually are. We go through life and Christ in the miraculous salvation pulls us out of the pit of our sin. And we go along and say, thank you, Jesus. See you later. And we jump right back into it again and again and again. The Bible describes us like sheep for a reason. And it's not an insult. It's because I think we have the tendency to kind of be dumb sometimes. In our own strength, in our own ability, we come back. In Proverbs chapter 26, verse 11, it gives a really gross illustration. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. 
And as gross as that is, and I don't like thinking about that at all, that's the kind of what we do oftentimes. We, we know we're in a spiritual battle, but we think, I'm the exception. I can go through life on my own, in my own strength, my own ability. I'm fine. I'm better than those people. And we begin to compare ourselves with others, and we forget that we have a spiritual enemy. Thank God. God does not leave us by ourselves. He gives us equipment. Now, in the next, next school holidays, we'll walk through the spiritual armor of God in, in our series of Ephesians. But I'm just going to scratch the surface of it. As I, let's read verses 13 through 17. If you put this into perspective here, the Apostle Paul is a very visual writer. And he often uses illustrations to describe difficult spiritual truths. And I like to think of it this way. Paul is in a Roman prison. He's writing on the parchment or he's dictating on the parchment about what's taking place. And he's looking up and he's looking at this Roman soldier there. And as he's looking at this Roman soldier, he begins to, to spiritualize the different elements of the things that the, the soldier's wearing. He sees the fact that he has a helmet. He sees the fact that he has a shield and a sword and he has a breastplate that covers his chest. He sees the sandals on his feet and he begins to spiritualize these, these different attributes that are literally right in front of him. And he says this, Therefore, because we're in a spiritual battle, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Having done all to stand. That's a real key through these, these verses. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. God provides us with the spiritual equipment for both offense and defense. As I was thinking through our spiritual armor that God gives us, I don't want to miss one part of it. I want every single part. Because invariably, the day that you forget your helmet, but I brought my shield, and I brought my breastplate, that's the day you get hit in the head. And the day that you wear your helmet but you forget your shield, that's the day the arrows come. So therefore, we don't just go, well, I have this part, but I can forget the rest. We need all of the spiritual armor that God gives to us. But how do we live like that in our practical? I've told the story of Hetty Green before, but I'll tell her the story of her again. And she was a lady that was incredibly rich. She was born in 1834 and actually died in 1916. And she was born into a very wealthy family and expanded and grew that wealth in the New England area of the United States and owned many, many properties. And she was a real estate baron. She owned many things. In fact, to the point where she actually bailed out the government a couple of times. That's how rich she was. She wasn't just known for the fact that she was incredibly wealthy. She was more well known for the fact that she was incredibly cheap. She was at the time worth what equivalent today, a hundred billion dollars. She was the richest woman in the world at the time. She lived in rented 
hotels or share houses because she didn't want to spend money. She would eat cold oatmeal, or like porridge, because she didn't want to spend the money to heat up the water. She would never, ever take a warm bath. The dress, you can't really tell on the screen, but she wore a black dress, and there's a number of photographs of her in different black dresses over the course of her life, and she would buy one dress at a time and wear it until it wore out. Her son had a, a, a broken leg that, to the point where I believe the story goes that he actually had to do, ended up being amputated because she didn't go to the doctor in time because she was trying to find a free clinic. And as sobering as that is, Hetty Green is a lady with incredible wealth. She could have lived comfortably. She could have used that wealth to help others, but she was so miserly with it that she ended up ultimately dying early, earlier than she would have naturally because she was refusing to follow the direct directions of the doctor. How about in a spiritual sense? We have incredible potential. God has given us the spiritual tools to overcome Satan. We have been given the spiritual ability through the power of Jesus Christ to overcome Satan in this world. But we live like people that are incredibly poor spiritually. That transitions us into our prayer, the energy, because I had to find another E. And the energy. Prayer is the energy that enables the Christian soldier to wear the armor of God, to wield the sword. We can't fight the spiritual battles in our own power, in our own strength. No matter how strong you are physically, or no matter how talented you are, we cannot do this on our own. And thank God that He's given us the blessing of prayer. The Apostle Paul, in verse number 18, lays out prayer for us. I'm going to read verses 18 through 20, and he says, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that the words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador, in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. How to pray for spiritual victory. For the next few moments, and I'm just going to scratch the surface of these, we're going to go through the six steps to praying for spiritual victory that we find just in verse, verse number 18. First of all, it begins with praying always. Praying always. We have the verses in the Bible, like 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, that says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Praying always is an attitude of, I'm not going to ever take, bring this onto my own shoulders. Before it comes onto my shoulders, I'm going to give it to God first and foremost. What sort of things does that look like in your life practically? You can think about the way that you respond to your spouse. We are in a spiritual battle. Do you think Satan wants strong homes? Do you think he wants strong marriages? We need to be praying always before we respond out of our mouth 
or before we allow the burdens of our life and the circumstances of our finances to come upon our shoulders, we need to turn it around to praying first. And that's what he says. And he begins with that, not just because it flows nicely. I believe it begins with praying always because we're always looking for the opportunities to pray. And we need to be quick to respond. Sometimes we think that prayer means that we have to wait for a particular time and get down on our knees and pray and, and only pray at that time. And that's wonderful. If you, if you do that, tremendous. But I find that I personally am praying at all times. God brings certain people into my mind, different circumstances. Many of you with your circumstances come to my mind at seemingly ra- random hours during the day and sometimes in the middle of the night. And I wake up in the middle of the night, I begin thinking about various people, and I, rather than going, oh, wow, what a horrible circumstances, and put those, shoulders, those things on my shoulders, and those burdens, are your burdens on my shoulders, do you know what I do? I really want to come alongside you, but I give it to God first. We pray always. It goes on from there, not just praying always, it's praying in the Spirit. That's that prompting and allowing God to speak in us and through us. This is not mindlessness. This is actually the opposite of that. It is God working in us and through us, through His Spirit. The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit's role is to convict us. He's to bring and, and to help us to know and to understand the truth of the, of the Word of God. Is to help us to know what is right and what is wrong. And the Holy Spirit's role in our, in our prayer life is He helps us, as it says in Romans chapter 8, It says in verses 26 and 27, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints, and here's the last line, according to the will of God. I want my prayers, and I believe you do too, your prayers to align with God's prayers. We're talking about transition with our church and opportunities. And I said earlier, we see where God is working. We seek to join Him in His work. How do we see where God is working? That's part of the Spirit's role. And when we're praying, I want to pray, God, through your Spirit, I want to pray what is your will. Not my will, but your will. Naturally, we will naturally pray, my will be done. Absolutely, that's exactly what we'll pray naturally. But when we pray in the Spirit, He helps us and guides us to pray, your will be done, God. We don't want to do one more thing, or certainly not one thing less than what God wants us to do. We also see, pray with variety. And that's not just to keep it fresh. That's a matter of, there's many different types of prayer. It says they're praying with all prayer and supplication. The word supplication is a word like request. It's, it's a prayer of request before God. And I did a little bit of research on that with all prayer. What does that mean? And it literally means this. It is all. <laughs> that's what it means. It means the, all the forms of prayer. So we have prayer requests, we have prayers of praise, we have prayers of confession, prayers of intercession, or we pray on behalf of others. We have prayer requests on behalf of others. We have laments. These are certain prayers that we pray. So we don't want to be overbalanced on just requests. God, give me this. God, give me this. God, give me this. We also don't want to be overbalanced with just praise. God, you're wonderful. You're great. He wants a 
He wants us to be balanced in our prayer life. So we pray with variety. There's going to be times in your life when you find yourself just praying a certain prayer. There's a circumstance in your life and you're praying over it, praying over it, praying over it. But there'll be other times in your life where we know that we have an ability to pray many different types of prayer. We also pray with expectation. Something is wonderful when you expect something to take place. When you come to church on Sunday and we come leaning forward and expecting, God, I want to see you work today. I want to see where you are working. I want to I want to experience what you want me to learn today. That's the ex- expectation. Like a child or really an adult. In fact, a little side note. Next Sunday is Father's Day. I'm saying that for my children. There's three of them in the room. Next Sunday is Father's Day. I'll be waking up in the morning and going, what kind of socks are they going to buy me today? I need more black socks, please. <laughs> Expectation. It says there, to that end, keep alert. Be ready. Be, be awake. We pray with expectation. God, I'm not just praying, God, if you're really there. Praying empty prayers is, God, I know that you're listening to me. I know that you're hearing me, and I want to be sensitive. So that part of that keeping alert lines up with praying always. Because God prompts us at certain times to pray at that very moment. But we say, oh, I'll I'll pray for that later. And when we put something off for a few moments, do you find something that I find? I forget so quickly. And I think to myself, what is it that God wanted me to do? What was that thing I, I was I was wanting to pray about. I don't remember it. So therefore, keeping alert in the expectation is now is the time, not later. Pray with perseverance. Pray, in fact, literally it says, pray with all perseverance. Keep on praying. It's so easy to become discouraged over time. And if you're dissatisfied with your prayer life, I would say, join the club. And I like to think of it like this. It's a holy dissatisfaction. Let me explain what I mean by that. Dissatisfaction isn't that I'm dissatisfied with God. It's that I want to know more. And the more I'm learning about God, now I want to know more. And now I want to know more. And it's so easy to give up on the early stages. You're never ever going to run a marathon unless you get off the couch. That's one of the reasons why I'll never run a marathon. You will never achieve anything in our spiritual life unless we persevere through the beginnings. And we also see finally is pray for everyone, making supplication for all the saints. Then Paul makes it personal. And he begins to ask for prayer for himself. And he asks for prayer for himself. He doesn't say, pray that God makes my circumstances easy. Pray that these guards will leave me alone. Pray that I'll have my freedom again. Do you know what he prays for? He's in prison and he's never going to get out. And he's praying this. Let me read verse 19. And also for me, that the words may be given to me. In other words, he's asking for opportunity in the opening of my mouth. He says, I want to have opportunity to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm in prison right now, but pray that God gives me opportunity to boldly proclaim Jesus Christ. But not just that. Verse 20, for I am an ambassador in chains. And here he asks, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. 
Yeah, have you ever prayed a similar prayer for yourself? God, give me the opportunity to share your love with others, but also God, will you please give me the right words to say? Paul exactly asked that. So as we think about the fact that we have an enemy, we're in a spiritual battle, we've been equipped with the equipment that God wants for us, we need to pray with the energy and the power that he has for us. But our goal isn't just to go talk about prayer and say, okay, go work it out for yourself. We're here for you. If you need prayer today, I'll happily meet you in the lobby and we'll pray for you. Allow us to come alongside you, not because my prayers are any more powerful than yours, but I want you to know and feel that you're part of something bigger and greater than yourself. Why don't you stand with me as we pray?